Good morning, High Point. The scripture for today is Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through uh, 26. It can be found on page 1578 in the Bibles that are in the um, pew racks in front of you. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to, to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Can you hear me now? Good, good, good. Praise God. Thanks, Augustina, for reading for us this morning. My name is uh, Lloyd Biddle. I'm one of the pastors here at High Point Church. Um, today we're going to continue our series in um, the book of uh, Luke. Um, and in particular, we're going to talk about um, this uh, biblical principle uh, that you have to give to live. Luke 9, 18 through 26. When Jesus was praying in private and the disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds, crowds say that I am? They said, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone this. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests, teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, now, if any of you would come after me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. It was December 31st, 1993, and Tom Lynn was a senior in college at Harvard University. 
He was attending university's urban, uh, university's annual or biannual uh, conference. And it was an amazing time for him because it was at this conference that he heard God's call to become a campus missionary with university. He heard God say, go. But when he got home to the suburbs of, of Illinois, where he comes from, he soon found out his parents had not heard the call. They didn't understand why this the strange thing called missions, they didn't understand this concept. They didn't understand why he just, just wouldn't go out and get a real job. They said to him, listen, Tom, we've invested hundreds of thousands of, of dollars for you to go to Harvard. Uh, we, we didn't invest that money so that you could just go out on some kind of whim. They cried and they argued with him. His parents begged him not to go into missions. And Tom cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, Lord, I love my family. So why, Lord, don't, didn't you make this so much easier for me? But as he prayed, he said, he heard the Lord say, go, go in my mighty power. And so he had enough conviction, and this really confirmed him. So despite his parents' pleas and wishes, he went. And this is when he found out how hard it is to depend on God. After Tom's decision, his mom and dad left the church, and they renounced their faith, and they went into severe depression. They stopped talking to Tom for years. No phone calls answered. No letters returned. The true reality of giving your life to God is hard, he learned. But God was good in the midst of this. God gave him surrogate parents who welcomed him into their homes. God provided all the financial resources that he needed to become a missionary. And God even gave him an expanded vision for the church and for himself. So that in 2001, after seven, eight years of serving as a campus minister, God sent him overseas. But that same year came another painful reality. His mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer and given just months to live, and they still had not reconciled. And the reality of obeying God's call seemed to be getting harder and harder. So much so he said, he cried out, he said, God, I obeyed your call. I left everything. Now what about me? And at the hospital, his mom comes to him, takes his hand and sits him down and says, Tom, there's something I've been wanting to say to you for a long time now. I am so sorry. I know I caused you so much pain. I'm so sorry, Tom. Will you forgive me? These were words he was waiting to hear for seven years, but there was more. Dad mentioned them over and said to him, Tom, if you go overseas, it's okay. All I ever really wanted is for your dreams to come true. So if God is calling you overseas, then go. Tom was in shock, but that day he learned something very important about God's calling. The true reality of obeying God's calling is hard. But our God is good and powerful. Our God reigns and is victorious. 
But in order to fully experience God's goodness, God's power, God's victory, Tom was required to give his life to the Lord, even if it meant being estranged from his parents for several years. And in so doing, he learned God's timeless truth that we give so we can live. That's our main proposition for this morning. We give so that we can live. We give our lives as a living sacrifice to God. And in so doing, we learn how awesome he is, how generous he is, and how much good he can do for the kingdom of God and for our our fellow men. We give so that we can live. This morning we're going to talk about um, three supporting points. Jesus gives first so that we can give. We give everything we have to give. We hold nothing back. And then as Jesus gives to us and we give out of his abundance, when we give everything over to him, then we can experience the abundant life in Christ. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Jesus gives so we can live. Luke 9, 22 and 23. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. In this text, in the book of Luke, from this point on, Jesus makes a pivot. From this point on, he tells them what kind of king he really is. And he tells them what is going to be required of them to follow him. He gets them prepared for for his future. And the thing that he says, that this long-awaited Messiah, the king of Israel, doesn't make any sense for them. You see, the, the, the Jew of the time figured that when the Messiah came back, that they would reign and rule with him immediately. And what God was having to show that something first had to happen, that they had, that he had to die an atoning death, he had to reconcile them to their God before there could be fellowship between them as sinners and him as their perfect God. So he was showing, that, showing them that things had to happen, that he had come before. And this was an amazing kind of thing, very countercultural, extremely difficult for them to understand. In fact, as the text builds, it says that they, they really just couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. He was very plain. I am about to be mocked. I'm going to be by the religious leaders. I'm going to be killed. And the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And they were like, what? What? Because when they're thinking about the kingdom, they're thinking about, let's say, the British or the European monarchy. They're thinking about the poor people and peasants and others that pay taxes so so that the royalty can spend millions on weddings, right? That's what they're thinking about in terms of kingdom, that I serve the king, but we have a king that serves us. We have a king who dies on the cross to give you life. We have a king that provides all of your resources. Amen? So, so that he serves you. Amen? And then out of that love, you serve him. It's countercultural. They had never seen any kind of kingdom like that. And so Jesus was having to show them that he gives so that they could live. 
So I love the hymn we saw, we sung earlier today. Such gospel truth. Behold the man upon the cross. My sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. When we know what Christ has done for us and continue in our sin, it's like the scripture says, we crucify him again. But our God is gracious and he died. And through repentance and faith, through repentance and faith, you receive the Holy Spirit. You become born again in Jesus Christ. And out of that richness and out of his promises and through the word of God, then you then serve for Jesus' sake. He gives so that you can give. That's the first principle that we need to learn this morning. And the order really matters. That's why Jesus said, all these horrible things are about to happen to me so that you can follow my example. Uh, My wife and I started a, a ministry reasonable service. We were inspired out of Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to give yourself a living sacrifice. I'm so glad that God hasn't so far called on me to actually lay on the cross like Peter and some of the other guys. I'm so glad. So far, not yet, right? I'm a living sacrifice that out of my life, I serve you, My brothers and sisters in Christ, I serve the world. I'm a living sack. I deny myself and pour myself out for Jesus' sake. That's, That's what you are. If you're a Christian, that's what you are. If you're a teacher, that's what you are. And when those kids are disobedient and when it's frustrating and when you're up at all hours of the night, guarding these papers, some one kid is gonna come back to you. I was that one kid, some years from now, and say, Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for encouraging me. You are a living sacrifice in your day-to-day. Whatever your work is, stay-at-home mom, nurse, janitor, CEO, you are a living sacrifice put here to do God's work. So divine logic surprises us. It's so countercultural. So then what do we have to do then? God gives so that we can give. What, what, what does this look like practically? What does this look like to give? Luke 9, 23 through 25. Then he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for, for me will save it. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and, let, and yet lose his soul? When we talk about denying ourselves, here's what we're saying. Think of Jesus on the cross or before in the Garden of Gethsemane, contemplating with his disciples the sacrifice he was to give. And he says to God, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. That's what deny yourself means. And when the scripture goes on and magnifies and intensifies it by talking about taking up your cross daily, um, in the time of Jesus Christ, if a person was condemned to death, they would have to take one 
of the two crossbars. The condemned criminal would have to carry it to the point of, of where the execution was to take place. And one commentator, Leon Morris, says, yeah, that person was going to go out, but they were not going to come back. And so when we go out with Jesus Christ to carry your cross is to live all of your life each day for Christ's sake and not your own sake. That's what it means to carry your cross. What does that really look like? What does it mean to die for Jesus? It means to give God everything you have and depend on him for everything you need. I want to tell you that living for Christ is radical. Living for Christ is radical. Give me a second. Luke 21. Jesus is confronting the Pharisees who love money and the wealthy who think they are Uh, serving God by giving out of their wealth. And he sees this one woman come up and he makes a point to his disciples. He says this, Luke 21, one through four. And Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. I want to say to you, Christians, what are you holding back that you need to give to God today? That's your application question. What are you holding back? Are you like the rich young ruler, Jesus? What can I do to to enter eternal life? Uh, You know the commandments. Honor your father and mother right? Do, do good and right. He said, Lord, I've been doing these all my life. And he looks at him and loves him. One, one of the, I think it's Mark says, he looks at him and he loves him. One thing you lack, give everything you have to the poor and you will have riches in heaven and come and follow me. And it says when he thought about his wealth, He couldn't leave behind everything to follow Jesus. It it, it takes everything. What have you failed to give to Jesus? You have to give everything so that you can live. That's the one thing. Next, what does it mean to die for Christ? It means you prioritize the pursuit of righteousness over the pursuit of material things. Jesus is, is explaining that we should look at the birds of the air. They don't work, and they have all that they need. And so you should dedicate yourself to pursuing righteousness, and all these things will be given to us. I, I was uh, listening to, uh, to, to the radio um, Family Life today, and Dennis Rainey was interviewing a husband, and it, it mesmerized me. This husband and his wife, uh, they had been married for a while, had one son, a teenage son. They were going on a break a respite for, for them a weekend away to get connected. And their son was old enough that they could leave him at home and responsible. While they were away, they got an email from a teacher that said, your son has been cheating on his exams. And he's flunked the exam, and I'm considering whether to kick him out for this semester. And then they were sitting at each other. It was like talking to the parents like, man, our son? What should we do? Should we just ball him out over the phone or 
wait till we get back. And the husband said, no, our son is having a crisis of character. And we've got to deal with this right now. So they pack up their self, forfeit three, four hundred dollars that they had invested in this weekend, go home and help their, their, their child come back to righteousness and goodness. That's what it means to, to forsake your pleasures for righteousness sake. So they lost their three or four hundred dollars, not, not uh, receivable. But what would you give for your children's character? What would you give for a soul? So in, we have to give everything we have to give. We give up our pleasures for the kingdom's sake. Next, it means to give God everything you have and depend on him. Now, other direction now. It means you reject the common notion that life is about building up an abundance of wealth and afterwards taking life easy. There's this kind of American notion. It's the American dream. This is a country and you can build a fortune. And if you work really hard and if you're really smart and wise, you can build a fortune and maybe you can quit working at 40. Maybe you can quit at, at 50. Invest, and then you can relax and, be, and take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And it's a lie. It's a way to waste your life. I was talking to my oldest son. He's back at home uh, working his first kind of real job, working an internship at the city of Madison in HR and learning some cool skills. And he said something to us. It made me laugh. It made me chuckle. He said, Dad, I have to get up at 6.30 or 7 and get in the office by 8.00. I work all day. I'm tired. I, I, it's five o'clock, and then I, I come home, and then I go for a run. I get something to eat, Dad, and it's eight o'clock, and I, I got to get up and do it again. I was like, yeah, welcome to life. And, and, and when you learn that working is, is hard, hopefully then it teaches you how to be good stewards over your labor and good stewards over your money. And I want my kids to work hard. I want them to, to save and, and, and raise a family, but I want them to have something more than that. I want them to see their work as worship to God. I want in the middle of your work not to be looking for retirement, but to look forward to how you can serve God through serving men in a day-to-day basis. One of the cool things that I learned when I worked for American Family, I began to see, I began to see that I was a pastor at work. I would hire people and help them build their careers and their families, and I began to see lives break down when people didn't have good character. I, I began to see businesses fail. I began to see just the normal pressures of life. And, I, and, and after a while, since they knew I was Christian, I was able to invest in them, to pray for them, to invite folks to church, to ask that God would change their lives. And I began to see, especially as I began to do more shepherding work in my church, I considered myself a pastor at work. If you run a business, if you teach students any kind of leadership role God has given you, you are God's shepherd. Or how are you treating the sheep today? I want my kids not to just think that I'm just working to make a living. No, that their work is a part of their life in Jesus Christ. Amen? So part of 
giving so that you can live is that you recognize that you don't work to, to just create money, but your, your work is a service to God. It means that you forgive those who sin against you. Jesus says at one point, uh, how, how many times must you forgive your, your brother or sister? Seven times, 70 times, infinite amount of times. And think of Tom Lynn for seven, eight years. Could you imagine being launched out into missionary work and your own parents don't support you? How lonely that would have felt. The people who you know love you the most, who know, know you the best, don't support you. And because God has forgiven us so much, we're called to forgive the most difficult of sins. We have that in us through the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive. And in Tom's case, he was glad to forgive and be reunited with his, his mom before she died. So dying to, for Christ means that we forgive those who sin against us. That's what it means. We give everything we have to give. It means you have to incur opposition from society. And Jesus was getting tremendous opposition for the Pharisees for the stupidest things, for healing sick people on the Sabbath. Can you imagine this? For doing good, these people had so contorted the law that in their minds it was unlawful to do good on the Sabbath. And as Jesus got closer and closer to the cross, it became more and more unpopular to serve him. I want to tell you something. It's unpopular to be a Christian in Madison. It's, it's unpopular to be Christian in, in society today. It's uncool to have our ethic about marriage. One man, one woman for life in Christ as a representative of the gospel. You got to be kidding me. That's not my truth. It's uncool to have our ethic about sexuality, that God is the one who gives you your sexual identity. He is the one that gives it to you naturally, and that it represents his image. Your femininity, your masculinity represents Jesus Christ, right? That is uncool. That's your truth. Don't, be, don't put your truth on me. It's uncool. It's uncool to invest in the kingdom of God to tithe and create offerings. Why, what are you doing that with your, with your money? It's uncool to go to Harvard and then go into missions, missions. It's uncool to make that kind of life change. Being a Christian is uncool. And if you don't want to be uncool, you won't follow Jesus. I had this conversation with a young man some time ago. We were talking about his drinking problem. And he was trying to explain to me, in order for him to be cool in, in Madison culture, he had to drink too much. Had to drink too much. I don't want to stand out, he told me. Jesus doesn't want us to live our small lives of me, my house, in my family, in my pleasures. He wants us to live a big life of his kingdom, his glory, of your personal health, both spiritually and financially, and, and, and for an eternity. He wants you to know how to have healthy, healthy and whole families and relationships. He wants you to have real brotherhood and sisterhood in the body of Christ. He wants you to have a big life, not a small life.
In order to have that, you got to turn your back on society. It doesn't matter if we're not cool. Jesus thinks that we're cool. He thinks he knows that we are his children. You got to turn your back. What it means to give everything you have to give is you got to turn your back on society. And I just believe that more and more that's going to be required of us now as Christians. It means that you need to learn how not to be afraid of physical death. And so as Jesus was preaching, he got more and more hostility from the Pharisees and the leaders, and he had to prepare his disciples for the persecution they were going to get. Some of them even were going to be killed for following Jesus. So he says in in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear, i.e. fear God. Fear him who after your body has been killed, after your short life of 10, 20, 80, 100 years, after the body is dead, has the power to give you eternal life with him or eternal damnation. Fear him. After your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God don't have to count that much with me anymore. The very hairs of your head are now numbered. Jared and Jason, y'all watch out. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. God says we got to see the big picture of the abundance life, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. In a minute. But uh, Dwight Moody says this. He was the famous evangelist of the 19th century. H- uh, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, Europe and the United States, saved by Moody the evangelist. Someday you will read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of that? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I now was. To live is Christ, Paul said, but to die is gain. Philippians chapter 1. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the Holy Spirit in 1855. That which is born of the flesh may die. That is, we might die if Christ doesn't come before that. That which is born of the Holy Spirit. Christians who have repented and come to Christ in faith and received the gift of the Holy Spirit shall live eternally. You're living, if you're in Christ, you're living today. God wants you to have an abundant life invested in him and his kingdom. And you're going to have an even better life when you see your Savior face to face. I'm getting, when you're younger... And a Christian, you probably don't think as much about Jesus' return. Maybe the really holy ones do, right? <laughs> they think about, you know, I'm 22 and I'm not married, but you know, Jesus, you can come and get me. I wasn't like that when I was 25 and saved. I wasn't like that. But when you get older, there's some things you want to do in your life, no doubt. You want to see grandchildren. My wife and I have been praying that we would have saved kids for a generation. We want as many saved biddles until Jesus comes. That's my number one prayer. There's some things I want to see, but not more than Jesus. I want to see Jesus face to face. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Moody. Lastly, I want to say this. 
how it is that you, you give to live. Well, you give to live by every second Monday. You come to Engage and Equip Live at 6.30, from 6.30 to 8.30. And you make the sacrifice of coming to be trained so that you can serve more, not only in the church, but also in the world. And I'm only partly uh, joking about that. That joke went over better in the first service. <laughs> Jesus, we give so that we can live. Jesus gives so that we can give. We give everything we have to give. Last point, we live a, a life of abundance. You are not, and I, are not paupers in Jesus Christ. If somebody told you that now that you come to Christ, you are poor and beggarly, they lied. They lied. Luke 9, 24, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. You want to keep that self-centered life that you think is life? You're going to lose it. You get to the end of time, you're going to ask, where did the years go? Where did my youth go? What, what do I have to show for how I've invested in my life? You're going to lose your life. But whoever loses his life, turns aside from that self-serving, and follows Jesus will save it. What does it mean to live in abundance? What does it mean? What's the practical thing? It means you recognize that you have the resources of God's kingdom at your disposal. Uh, I saw something when I looked at this, this story of, of Christ telling us not to focus on our, our material needs that I hadn't seen before. He says this in 12, Luke 12, 29-30. He says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about that. For the world runs after all of that. The world, how do I know if I'm worldly when I'm consumed about how I'm going to pay the bills? That's my main consideration and not my fruitfulness in Christ. That's one of the ways you can know that you are worldly. Don't worry about that. For the pagan runs after all these things, and God, wife, he knows that we need that. But seek it. God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. This is the first time I've seen that. Remember this, 12 and 32. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And we've been studying in 2 Peter 1 that God has given us through his divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything you need spiritually to serve Jesus has been given to you. Everything you need materially to serve Jesus has been given to you. That's why places like Lighthouse Church and School can, with very meager resources, a couple hundred people can raise one and a half, two million dollars in the community because God is funding. They give out of their little bitty meager resources out of their wallet, and God comes behind with his massive resources and invests in his kingdom. You give a little God gives more. Earlier I threw my wallet and it came back. Give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. Come on, talk back with me now. You can give. So if you're a lighthouse church and you're doing God's work in your church, in your community, so that poor students can, can thrive, doing better in terms of their math and science and so forth than the public schools on less money, that's Jesus to me. That's Jesus. Only he can do that kind of math. And so you just need to know that you are not poor. There was a time at High Point's uh, past, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, when 
the, the elders were thinking that they were going to have to close the doors. But you guys just approved a $2 million-ish budget last uh, month, and we think we might going to get more than that because God is doing a work among us. All we need to do is pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll provide the resources. That's the kind of God that we serve. So don't worry, little flock, about your needs. God is pleased to have given you the kingdom. God finances and resources his work, first spiritually and then materially. It means you recognize that your abundance is tied to your obedience to the word of God. Jesus was doing great things in Israel, and people were seeing his miracles and his grace and love. And one woman came to him and said, Blessed is the woman who bore you. And Jesus looked back at her. He said, blessed, no, is the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. I want you to think about this. Tom Lynn was blessed. I, I don't think he would have become the president of InterVarsity if he hadn't obeyed God's call. It was hard. His obedience was hard and caused him separation from his parents for eight years. And I'm sure his, his time in Asia on the mission field was tough. But through his obedience is where we learn that God is loving. Through obedience is when we learn about the peace of God. Through obedience is when we learn about the honor. Through obedience is when the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. So living the abundant life is you recognize that God is pleased to give you the kingdom and that you recognize that your blessings come through your obedience. There's some things that Christians, we walk around sometimes as pauper Christians because we're disobedient. I think I'm not the only one who's ever had a season like that. Obey. God has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It means that you live by faith in God and what he has promised. There, Paul Shepard is the pastor in Fremont, California. Um, pastors a church there. He's becoming my favorite radio uh, pastor. Wifey, is he in the afternoons on 1190? I think he's on the afternoons on 1190. He tells the story of being at his father's church in Philadelphia and being trained there. And then at the end of seven, eight years, God gave him a vision. He said, you're going to go to California and thousands of unsaved people are going to be reached by you. You're going to reach him and you're going to disciple him. He got this vision in his mind. He was excited, so excited. He took this small church of 40 that was meeting in a, a theater and he poured his life into this little church. And after five years, 40 became 120. <laughs> and he was discouraged. He was like, Lord, man, I gave you everything. And I, I know it was you that gave me that vision of hundreds and even thousands of people coming to faith through, through this ministry. Lord, where are the people? And he stayed at it, and he stayed faithful. And over the next five years, that small church of 100 went to 1,000. They're still growing. His radio ministry now is national, even international. It's because we walk by faith, not by sight. So if God has made a promise to you, wifey, in the Word, or made a promise to you in a different manner, then you can walk in that. We walk by faith. 
not by sight. That's what it means to live the abundant life. Nextly, it means that you are generous with your possessions. Shepherd tells this story of one of his members coming to him and they had a need for a car. It was a young couple. Their, their car had, um, uh, was, was, uh, was not working. They didn't have the resources to get when they had to get to work. And he heard God say, you buy him a car. He was like, what? You buy him a car. He says, oh. so go take some to a car dealer. They pick out a suitable car. He pays a check. And he says, man, this is the first time in my life. I, don't, I paid the check for the car, and then I watched them drive the car out of the lot. He's like, this is crazy. But I'm going to tell you something. Have you ever experienced that giving is better than receiving? Have you ever in your life, whether it's you've given generously out of your labor or given money, uh, uh, without really paying attention and experience God's favor on your life. Uh, this morning at High Point Church, there's a church in town uh, struggling a little bit. They got some capital needs for their roof. And guess what? We have the opportunity to be generous and to bless this church. We have the opportunity to help God continue his work in our city and, inter, and, 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 and internationally. We can be generous. Won't you be generous? I like the way uh, the uh, Christian philosopher Jay-Z talks about this. <laughs> I, was li- I was listening to, to Jay-Z interview yesterday. Jared, Jared, you get a kick out of this. And he was talking about, uh, the New York Times interviewer asked him about wealth. And Jay says, T said something very profound. He said, without people, being rich would be very boring. The average American in relation to the world is rich. We have more income per capita than virtually any place in the world. And God has said to us, let the rich be generous. Let them learn how to give. And let, they should recognize to not have their faith in temporary things that perish, but in eternal things. And so invest your money in people. Be a shrewd manager. Invest in souls. Invest in the kingdom of God. Living the abundant life means that you are generous with what you have. Amen to that? Amen, Amen, Fran and Shirley. Amen. Yep. Invest. Thank you for being a godly example of how to invest temporal things in eternal things. It means to embrace your calling to make new disciples. Not all of us are going to be... um, they asked the president of uh, the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. Uh, his first name is Ed. I can't think of his last name right now. They asked him, who is going to replace Billy Graham? Not many of us are Billy Graham or Louis Palau or Greg Laurie or D.L. Moody. Not too many of us. But everyone has, is called on to make disciples. All of us. So not everybody has the gift of evangelism, but everybody needs to evangelize. Not everybody has the gift of giving, amen, but everybody needs to give to the kingdom of God. 
And so uh, at Engage and Equip last month, Nicole and Vince taught a very simple process by which we individually can get involved in evangelism. The first one is to ask questions like, um, did you go to church when you, when you grew up? The idea is that we're engaged in conversations with non-Christians, and we're trying to find out where they are spiritually. Did you go to church when you were young? What are some of your biggest priorities in life? You try to have a spiritual conversation to find out where they are. And then the next step would be then to invite them in. We have had people that have led people to Christ through inviting their, their unchurched friends to church. Through inviting their unchurched friends to worship night at the church. Some people won't come to church, but they'll come to jam with you. By inviting their kids to Awanas. They come to Awanas and their kids come home and teach their parents the gospel. <laughs> they, they, they do memory verses. Hey, mom, do memory verses. And the memory verses is the gospel. They come to faith through Financial Peace University. So that would be the next step. The first thing is to find out where they are spiritually through questions. The next one would, would, be, would be to invite them. And then thirdly is they got to hear the gospel. And they might hear it at church, but they might hear it from your testimony. Your testimony of how you personally repented of sins, accepted Jesus Christ. Your testimony of how the Holy Spirit is helping you right now live out your life. Your testimony of, of how God's kingdom resources have covered and, and kept and protect you, protected you. And so each one of us needs to be, be involved in evangelism, whether you got the gift of evangelism or not. Does that make sense to you? That is part of what it means to live a life of abundance. Last, last one. It means you live out your faith boldly in the world in anticipation of Christ's return. Here's what Jesus told his disciples in chapter 9 in the last verses that I wanted to cover. He says this, verse 25, what good is it for someone to gain all the material world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I kind of rather like the way that Paul talks about this in Romans 12, 1, 16, 7. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is faith, that is faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. The Christians know nothing. Christianity knows nothing of secret Christians. We are said by metaphor to be a, a light uh, in the world. We are said to be a city on a hill. We are to do our good deeds before men so that men would glorify our Father. There is no place in the world for secret Christians. We've got to live boldly, not ashamed of Christ as our Lord. We've got to give so that we can live. We give our whole, Christ gives his life to us and we give our lives to him. Jesus gives so that we can give. We give everything we have to give. 
and we live an abundant life. You are not a pauper. I don't care if your budget is tight right now. I need you to recognize that you have everything you need for life and godliness and that God has been pleased to give you the kingdom. God has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Last uh, illustration, last thing, Susie Larson. Susie Larson is a famous radio uh, host. She has a radio, national radio uh, talk show. And she tells a story about being married young to her husband, Kevin, and then uh, having lots of kids early on and then getting sick, really sick. And her insurance didn't cover all of her bills. She had massive bills. Her husband was working three jobs, and they couldn't make ends meet. They were in dire straits. And they were godly people. They know that you should pay your debts, so they didn't go bankrupt. And they didn't see any way out of this. And there's a situation, a time when in their cupboard there was only a box and a half of cereal. Their things were tight, tight. And she was praying. She's like, Lord, my God, how do we get in this situation? Lord, we need you to bless us. And the Lord said this. He said, you have a neighbor across the hall that they don't even have any cereal. Won't you give to them? She said, what? <laughs> I barely have food for my children. Give what you have to them. You remember when Jesus told his disciples, we have all these people that are out here, Jesus. How are we going to feed them? You give them something to eat. Lord, we have five fish and a couple of loaves, but what is that among so many? Give it to me. Give. The Lord was telling Susie, give the cereal. Give it to me and see what I would do. So, so she, they, they gave. And they had been kind of lax on their giving to the church. They were in church, and they, 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 by conviction, they, they believed that they should tithe and give offerings. And they began to say, listen, God's impressed on their hearts. Look for people who are, who are less fortunate to you and help. And they was like, okay. And they started giving when they, when they had it and giving when they didn't feel like they had it. And their husband tells a story of sitting around one day with his hand on his head, having all these bills and paying the bills and having money left over. And him like, there's some miracle math going on. I don't know how God's math works out. He somehow keeps filling in, right? The, the bills come in, but he gives more. The bills come in, but he gives more. And so what they have learned, and now many years later, she's, she's prospered, her kids are grown, and she has learned that you have to give so that you can live. Let us pray. Lord, you showed us this on the cross. This is the fundamentals of our faith, but it's hard. This is a hard truth, Father, that we really have to trust you with everything. All of our relationships, all of our resources, we got to trust you with all of our plans. And you have promised that if you will give, if we will give that, and especially if we were to give our lives to you in repentance and faith, that you are pleased to give us the Holy Spirit. You are pleased to give us the kingdom. So help us, Lord. And I pray for the person in our audience this morning who, who was convicted by this truth, Convicted by the understanding that it's by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that they can have life in him. Lord, we, I pray that, that, that today they will make that commitment in Christ. 
and, and that I pray for the Christians that we will look at our lives. What is it that we need to give Jesus today? What is it that we need to give up? What is it that we need to hand over to him today so that we can really live an abundant life? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.